1 Kings chapter 10, the first 13 verses, as we continue our study with Solomon and the Queen. Solomon and the Queen. In the last few messages, we've been looking at the similitude of Solomon and Christ. And we'll continue that today. So let's read the text again. And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train, with camels and bear spices, that bear spices, very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And when the queen of and Solomon told her all her questions, there was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built, and the meat of his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. She said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own act, land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers, and there came no such almug trees, nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire, whatsoever she asked beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. Solomon and the queen, Christ and you, Christ and me. That's what we're looking at through this. And it is a similitude, and I remind you again, a similitude, by my definition, is a comparative resemblance. And so we are looking at Solomon through the words of Christ in Matthew 12, 42, when Jesus himself declared that similitude by saying, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, again, similitudes help us to understand things we don't otherwise or could not understand because we have nothing to compare them to. If we just took what little bit is said of Christ in the Gospels and the New Testament, you're not going to get the whole picture. But the New Testament is the key that unlocks the prophecies and the similitudes of the old. And so there's where we learn. We learn by comparison by looking at things we know to understand things we don't. So, if you've thought of that before, meditated or chewed on that before about what Christ meant and to what extent when he said a greater than Solomon is here, then you're obviously going to have to know about Solomon 
or you're not going to understand what Christ meant about himself. And Solomon and what the Bible tells us is enough to blow our minds. I mean, I've been I've read it through the years. I'm studying it now again afresh in these series of messages. But it is literally, if you look at it diligently, hard to comprehend a man with the wisdom and understanding and a kingdom and riches and prosperity that existed under Solomon. But that's a declaration of the Bible. There will never be, as I said, another like Solomon. There's only been one that surpassed him, and Christ said he was it. And so again, we look at Solomon, and we keep Christ in view, because everything we see in Solomon can be magnified infinitely in Christ. So do that as we proceed, shall we? We ended last time looking about the scripture that states in 1 Kings 3, verse 2 and 3, that Solomon loved the Lord and walked in his statutes. And we're going to use that as a springboard today to take on off with Christ in that. We made this statement as we close that message that again... No one manifests love of God except one way. It's only validated. A profession of faith is just that, a profession of faith. Faith is validated by works, as James said. And there we see that simply put, which is a doctrine throughout the Bible, that those who love God are obedient to God. Solomon, it says, love the Lord and manifest that love by walking in His statutes. Now anybody who claims to love the Lord and doesn't obediently follow the Lord is a hypocrite, plain and simple. And we all tell off on what we love. Somebody says, I love some certain food and don't ever eat it. They don't love it. Somebody says, I love a such and such a thing and don't ever partake of it or active in that, whatever it may be. They don't love it. I've had people tell me they love my preaching and I've never seen them again. Do you think that I really believe that? I, over the years, I've had numerous people profess how much they love the Lord. They don't attend the house of the Lord. They don't obey the things that the Lord says in His book. There's no manifestation of it whatsoever. I mean, what we do tells what we love. And it tells what we love the most. Solomon loved the Lord. The proof of that love was he followed in the statutes of the Lord. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And then we would say that nobody was more obedient to God than the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten of the Father. Therefore, he had a greater love for the Father than we do, and he could be completely and totally obedient. I'm going to read one verse that I read to you last week to jump off and jump with uh, in this message, and that's in Luke chapter 2. 
and it is verse 52. And this is when he was 12 years old, okay? And he was talking with the priest and so forth and the lawyers and those of the law in Jerusalem and his parents went off without him. But in verse 52, the chapter closes with this statement, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now that's like, that's synonymous in a way with what we read of Solomon about loving the Lord and walking in his statutes. The Lord just continued to increase, not only as his body would physically increase and grow, upwards of 12 years old, but he grew in wisdom, stature, and favor with God and man. The only way you can grow in favor with God is by being obedient to God. That's the only way Solomon could, it's the way any of us could. And so Christ was doing exactly what it said of Solomon, but to a greater degree, based upon the fact, of course, he was the only begotten of the Father. I think today's message will mostly be devoted and perhaps entirely devoted to the next point, which is Solomon's wisdom. And this is exactly what Solomon is known for, isn't he? Solomon's pretty much known for two things. Wisdom and then wealth, riches, you know, prosperity, however you want to put it. Uh, but of course, the wisdom is the outstanding thing because guess what? Wisdom uh, has eternal effects. And there's blessings in wisdom that there's not in riches, wealth, and the things of this world. So that's why the first nine chapters of Proverbs, the subject is wisdom. <laughs> Solomon wrote that, of course, by the way. So he was the greatest authority other than Christ we've ever had on wisdom because he had more of it and knew more of it. So there again, call it straight from the horse's mouth. That's blunt, but that's exactly, he knew what he was talking about when it comes to wisdom. 1 Kings chapter 3, back up a few pages and we'll read about this, a familiar story about how Solomon got this wisdom. And I want to say to you that the point I just made in introduction about loving the Lord and walking in His statutes is the foundation for what we're about to read. Because in this we're going to see in verse 5, or rather, let me back up. That's in verse 3. Uh, let me just begin with verse 4 of chapter 3 there. All right, and consider this premise we just talked about. Solomon loved the Lord and walked in the statutes of David his father, which was the statutes of the Lord, okay? So there's the foundation. Now, look what happens upon this. Well, we might also add this. Look at literally what he did. He sacrificed and burned incenses in high places and sacrifices in Gibeon, for that was the high place there. Remember, there was no temple, no tabernacle set up, things like that then. They, this was just the designated place where Solomon made sacrifices unto the Lord. So it's not idolatry in that respect, okay? Just because it was in a high place. So again, he loved the Lord. He walked in the statutes. Well, how do you know he's walking in the statutes? Well, watch him. He's going and sacrificing to the Lord. All right? Now, based on that, and let me say to you, you and me also, when we love the Lord, we're obedient to the Lord, we sacrifice unto the Lord, and our bodies are to be a living sacrifice, according to Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2. Guess what might happen? <laughs> well, I'll tell you what will happen. 
you'll be blessed. God will bless you in that. And it'll just keep getting better and better. And that leads us to verse 5, where God initiates blessing for Solomon. Look at it. In Gibeon, where Solomon is being obedient, sacrificing a proof of his love, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a, dream by night, in a dream by night, and God said, What ask, or rather, ask what I shall give thee. Wow! You can't outgive God. We've said that, right? I mean, it, and God requires obedience. Okay? Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy according as he walked before thee in truth and in righteousness and in uprightness of heart with thee, and thou hast kept for him this great kindness that thou hast given him a son to set on his throne as it is this day. What's Solomon acknowledging there? The grace of God. The grace of God. Grace extended to his father. Grace extended to him in fulfilling the promise to his father. And Solomon is saying, I'm the recipient of your grace just as my father was. This is all yours. This is all you're doing. I'm just the benefactor here, the beneficiary. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out or come in. Notice the acknowledgement. Every word is very unique here. And now, now, passing on with grace, this gift of grace. And now, God, thou hast made thy servant king. Very important. That's grace again. You know, there were circumstances that brought this about, but we look to a sovereign God for everything that happens. And this is what he's doing. This is like Job. He looked at his circumstances, he listened to the advice of his friends. But he could look beyond it and see it wasn't his friend's fault. It wasn't the Hittites or the the Can the which ones the Chaldeans, whichever ones, all those other. He could have pointed a finger at all of those, and then he could went a little further and pointed a finger at the devil. But no, he went beyond that and said, "This is a hand of God." Solomon's doing the same thing. Thou made me king. Okay, he's not looking to his father and say, "I'm king because David, my father, made." No, he sees God's hand in it as we should. And notice, made thy servant king. He sees himself as a servant before he sees himself as a king. That's so vitally important. Is that the way you see yourself today? It ought to be. If God has saved us by His grace, we are His slave, His servant. But guess what? We're also children, adopted children. Guess what else we are? Kings and priests unto God. But we don't put the king part first, do we? We don't put the priest part first. We put the servant part first because we see we are responsible to Him. And then think of this statement. Notice the humility here. Notice the humility. You want wisdom? You want what you pray for? You better pray for it in an humble way. We don't go to God demanding. We go to God humbly in prayer. Acknowledging we are what we are by His grace. And we're not worthy of that. And we hesitate to even ask except we're told to ask and lay our petitions before Him and let Him answer according to His will because He knows what's best for us. 
I love this. I've always loved this. This has always appealed to me. It's always been a reminder to me. A grown man saying, I'm just a little child. I mean, a child of God, what do we say? We're nothing but by the grace of God. Nothing. I mean, what is a little child? It's little. It's little in stature. It's little in understanding. It's little in everything. Right? But yet big in the eyes of its parents, right? So it is with every one of us. We're nothing but by the grace of God and saying, I don't know how to go out or how to come in. I mean, that is laying it on the line. That is is just, again, like Paul, Paul said it the same way. In fact, this is synonymous with what Paul said. What did Paul say? I am what I am by the grace of God. <laughs> and Paul was saying, I'm nothing except by the grace of God. That's what Solomon's saying here. Okay, he has just, going back to Sunday school, emptied himself. He, he just took Solomon out of the cup. He just took pride. He just took selfishness. He just laid bare, opened up his heart, and emptied himself out. I mean, and now guess what? He's got room for all kinds of things God can give him. And that's what God asks. I mean, you can't get a blessing if you're full of yourself. You can't get a blessing if you think you're the one that's going to bring it about or bring it to pass or somebody else or circumstances. No, you lay it bare. You empty the cup. And then you can get blessings innumerable. Thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen, a great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. You've got to love the pronouns here. Thou made thy servant. I'm a little child. Thy servant in the midst of thy people that thou chosen. Thou hast chosen. You get that? I mean, notice again, God doing the doing. Solomon is just acknowledging that God is God. That God did all of this, performed all of this, did it by grace. And they cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. And i got to pause here. This will come up later on in another point. But just consider the kingdom here. David was a warrior. He not only defended, but he took other lands and other peoples. So this is not just Jews here. This is people who have been conquered and brought in. Just like Gentiles being brought in in the New Testament, okay? You know, all kinds of people have been brought in who have been conquered, and they may not have liked that very much. But it turned out pretty good to be a servant or a slave in the times of Solomon, let me tell you. I bet none of them had it any better in their old countries and their old places than they did under the kingdom of Solomon, even if you weren't a Jew. So this is a huge multitude. I just don't want you to think here this just a, that more Jews than you could ever imagine. No, it, it's all kinds of people and that's due to David and his conquest. Give therefore thy servant and, and just notice again it doesn't say give me. You know maybe we ought to contemplate our prayers structured like this what do you think lord give me health lord give thy servant give thy little child give thy adopted son give thy adopted daughter give the one whom thy grace has saved you know maybe we ought to start working on little phrases or adjectives put in there huh i bled with a little enhances 
in our spiritual walk with the Lord. Give thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people. And notice this is all about God. He's using all the God pronouns. Thy people, thy, you know, thy understanding, thy dispensing here, that I may discern between good and bad, for who is able to judge this so great a people? Thy, this thy so great a people. Was it Abraham Lincoln that said when he left Illinois to go to the presidency, I go to the Washington to, for a task that I cannot do. But by God's grace, I cannot fail. Something to that extent. I probably butchered it. But this is where Solomon's coming from too. And of course, Lincoln read the Bible also. He wasn't converted, he said, till Gettysburg. But nevertheless... He's already said that he's a child here that don't know his right hand from the left and that he's here admitting he's not capable. He's king, folks. He's the most powerful man in the land there. Now, and between him and God, he says, I'm not capable of doing this. I can't do this. Exactly what I was trying to quote from Lincoln there. He knew when he went, he had been elected to do something, called to do something, and was going to occupy a position to do something, he was not capable of doing without God's help and the grace of God. That's the way every leader ought to take their oath of office. The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. Here again, a comment for our prayers. Ask according to the will of God. Let's not ask for preposterous stuff. Let's get humble and we'll ask for the right stuff. You know, I, I, I bet you if you ever try this, I've done it not literally, but you might get to thinking about what you need and what you want and what you're going to ask the Lord for. And you can make a big list if you wanted to. You could just write it all down. And if you get in the right state to pray, let me guarantee you that list will shrink in a hurry. When you're praying in the right state, you won't be con- be looking at a list or rehearsing a bunch of stuff from memory that you were going to ask the Lord for. It'll shrink down to pretty much nothing. Because in humility, we recognize who we are, what our needs really are, what's really important, and we won't spout off and ask for a bunch of foolish things that we probably don't need anyway. We will be submitted to the will of God. God, here's the problem. I don't know what the solution is, but I know you're capable of dealing with it. Give me grace to deal with the solution. Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither has asked riches for thyself, nor has asked the little of thine in- the life of thine enemies, but it asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall be not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. If thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, as David, as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream, and he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. 
God identifies in verse 11 what most people would normally ask for and what we're all prone to ask for. You know, we have the old deal of the genie in the bottle thing. You know, give you three wishes or whatever. And you just about guess what those three would be. Probably these three right here. You know. Most people, given a choice, would want money. And the Bible says the love of money is root of all evil. And you don't have to be very smart to figure that out. All you got to do is just get online and look up the statistics or how many people buy lottery tickets. Everybody wants to get rich, don't they? People live under the lie and the deception in thinking that money will solve their problems. Solve all their problems. Create a life of leisure and luxury. If you read what Solomon, the wisest man, said in Ecclesiastes, you'll read opposite. He'll say it's just going to give you more problems than you ever had before. Not that wealth is a bad thing, but men can't deal with wealth. Most people want money. Most people want luxury, wealth, riches, and things. And do not have the wisdom to look at those who have it and see how miserable their lives have become. But the facts are there, aren't they? So, normally people ask for wealth or they want to live forever. Long life. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to live a long time, my question would be, why do you want to live a long time? Self-preservation is built into our psyche. It's built into our physical anatomy. But it's of sin. There's only one right answer for why you want to live long. And many have said it, many have stated it. When looking at their lives that are about to end or terminate, it would be that I might have longer to serve my Lord. That's the only correct answer or correct motive for wanting to live long. If you want to live long because you like the world, then you need to do some self-examination. Most people, Christians, who live very long in this world can't wait to get out of it. I'm looking forward to it myself. I tell people, and I'm not trying to be cute, I've got an exit plan. Uh, I've had to deal with Medicare and Social Security. Finally got that time. I didn't know if it ever happened, but it did. But my philosophy has been and is I'm not looking for that stuff to keep me around here forever. I'm dealing with it because I've got an exit plan. An exit plan. Why would I want to stay here any longer? I've said it to you before and I say this truthfully, honestly, and from the bottom of my heart, God is my judge. I feel like God has given me the best this world's got to offer. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just saying that's how I feel. Why would I want to hang around for anything else? Why would any Christian? The best is yet to come. But it's not here. And Solomon also dealt with that in Ecclesiastes, by the way. I'm kind of basing what I'm saying here on exactly what he wrote. 
I think every day is precious. I want to enjoy all the life God gives me, but the main priority is to not sin against Him and to honor Him whatever time I've got left. And if I could do that and live as long as Methuselah, I'd be happy to do that. But I don't think none of us are going to do that. So, uh, you know, the reality is we're going to be leaving sometime soon. we got everything to look forward to. So, money, long life, or get even. <laughs> Revenge. The life of your enemies. That, now, these, these are sinners' priorities in all likelihood, you know. I could have anything I want. I'd like to have all the money in the world and, and, you know, live as long as this in peace, prosperity, and this, and get even with John and Sue and Bill and George and everybody else that's done me wrong. That's the world's philosophy. Solomon was different. What made him different? The grace of God. Why didn't he ask for this stuff? Well, his humility. He learned grace. He already knew grace, and he couldn't. The grace of God won't let you ask for selfish things. The grace of God will whack you when you try to be selfish. You know, and I say the grace of God, I'm talking the Holy Spirit, God's grace. It's, that's the Holy Spirit and God's grace that will set you aright, you know. God, give me this. God, I need this. Whoa, 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 whoa. He asked for wisdom to be able to serve the Lord faithfully. Lord, you made me, thy servant, a king. I can't do it. Lord, would you give me the resources necessary for me to be king over your people? That's what way we ought to all be praying. It don't matter who we are. Lord, I'm your servant. I want to serve you but I can't do it on my own. Give me what I need to do what you want me to do. That's what Solomon asked. Folks, it, it don't get any better than that. You can't improve on that. That's the best it gets. And when you have that type of attitude and you know where everything comes from and you know you can't, but God can, and you ask, guess what? He supplies. That's been my experience. That's the testimony of people in the Bible. God says, I'm going to do what you said. And notice this particular. This is very important because much of what I'm going to say is based on this. And this is a hard thing for us to acknowledge from the historical human secular sense. But it's true because we believe the Bible. Verse 12, God says, I have done according to thy words. I have given thee a wise and understanding heart. Okay. Now, God does that to all His people. But not all in the same capacity. If God has saved you, when God saved you, He gave you a wise and understanding heart. It has the potential to excel in wisdom and understanding. That's up to you. That's up to me. How much of it do we want? How much of it are we going to empty ourselves to make room for it? How much are we going to ask for it? How much are we going to use what God gives? Because if we don't use what He gives, He, don't, he quits giving. He don't just pour good stuff all over the floor. No, the more you absorb, the more He'll give you to absorb. 
But if he's giving it to you and you're going to let it fall all over the ground, guess what? You'll stop that nonsense. In fact, that don't happen. I'm using illustration. And the extent of this is, again, up to us. How much do we want? Now, again, don't pray to be as wise as Solomon because that's not going to happen. You're praying amiss if you do that. I mean, the text says, There was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. So if I pray, God make me just as wise as Solomon, I'm praying amiss. I'm showing my ignorance. I don't know the word of God. But I can pray, God give me wisdom like unto Solomon. God give me understanding like unto Solomon. I want to be in that group. I want to be in that category. I want to be motivated like he was. I want to be humble like he was. I want my cup empty of me so you can fill it with those types of things. That we can pray for. Now that's wonderful, isn't it? I mean, I mean that's cause for rejoicing right there. I mean, this whole thing, his attitude of asking... And God's saying, I'm going to give you what you ask because the bottom line, you weren't selfish. You weren't selfish. You were unselfish, so I'm going to give you what you asked for. But God, being God, doesn't stop there. And verse 13 proves this. This is like when you buy something or trade something to somebody and you're completely happy with the deal. You know, with the arrangement, with what you're getting for what you paid or what you asked for or whatever. And then somebody turns around and say, and to boot, I'm going to throw in this. <laughs> the icing on the cake, so to speak. God says in verse 13, I'm not stopping there. I'm so pleased with your request that I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for. Now I hope this pricks your heart. I hope it pricks your conscience. And I hope you go out of here a better person by thinking about it. Have you experienced this same thing? That God does not just give us what is necessary, the bare minimum, or what we ask. But as the Scripture says in the New Testament, not only is He able to do abundantly above and beyond what we ask, many times He does it. I'm going to do that, but I'm also going to give you what you didn't ask for, riches and honor. And let me tell you, if you get riches and honor and you know the source is God, it don't get any better again. That, that's, this is really where I was coming from a while ago when I said I felt like God had give me the best this world has to offer. And you, you all know my meager existence. I mean, I'm not talking about wealth and riches. That's not where it's at. You don't have to be a millionaire, billionaire, be blessed of God. I mean, there's people that practically starve to death that's had more riches of God blessing upon them than wealth can buy. Riches and honor. We sang that song last week, I'm a child of the king. I mean, that's riches and honor. Being a child of the king. Being adopted, saved by grace, that's riches and honor. That's riches and honor beyond what the world gives. You take all the riches and honor of men, mankind, and the world and put it in the balance and put what God gives over here to somebody that's poor as a snake and guess what? It'll bottom out over here, the riches and the world and all that's just light as a feather. Don't mount to hill of beans. 
And notice again what he says. So that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. So the bottom line with, and this as far as I'm going to get looks like this morning, and I hope the Holy Spirit impresses us upon you, there never was a king like Solomon, and there shall never ever be another like him after Solomon. Not one. Now that's what the Bible says. That's what God says. And that's what I believe. Human history would argue otherwise. Human history would tell us that perhaps Nebuchadnezzar or Caesar or Alexander or, you know, somebody else, somewhere else, some other kingdom, and probably they would tell us there's been a whole lot more. But they're basing greatness on the wrong things. This is great as it gets because it's based on the right things. In history, just like we've got some maps over here, you can. there's one, I believe, of the Roman Empire over there. You know, the immensity of the land conquered geographically defines the greatness of an empire, a kingdom, a king, or a queen, or a dictator, whoever, right? A lot of times it does. That's not what we're talking about here. The wealth of a nation defines its greatness. At one time, America was defined that way. I think if I remember correctly, 6% at one time in the founding of this country, there's some statistic that says something like 6% of the world's population had 60% of the world's natural resources. I've read that something like that somewhere, no matter how accurate. I mean, that few people had that much of uh, whatever, you know, yeah. yeah. No, that's not the greatness of it. The greatness of the kingdom is the greatness of the king here. And this king was not a warrior like David, nor was he a dictator like many communists have been and other things and greatness known by the peoples and number of people they conquered and the number of spoils and things. Not on the world's standard, not on the world's measure. This kingdom was the greatest kingdom on earth that ever has been and ever will be Till Christ sets up his kingdom because it had the greatest king that there ever was and ever will be till the king of kings comes. That's what made it great. If we had all of the details of this kingdom, if we had the blueprint, the architecture of it, you know, laid down about, okay, how should you govern? How should you judge? How should you build? How should you run the economy? How would the politics work? How, all of that. If we had all this asylum, we could not recreate it without somebody like Solomon. What made it work was Solomon. God vested in one man more knowledge, more wisdom, more understanding than everybody else put together. Now we don't understand that because we've never seen anybody like this because there's nobody to compare. 
I read it to you. I want you to leave here today thinking of this. God said it, not Arthur, not the preacher. So that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall there arise any like unto thee. So that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. There's no comparison. Solomon was it. He exceeded everybody before him. He exceeded everybody that has come hereafter. With one exception, Matthew 12, 42, Jesus said, a greater than Solomon is here. I hope you're blown away with what is said here of Solomon. And I haven't even gotten finished with it. There's other scripture we still need to read. We'll have to take it up in the next message. I've literally just introduced you to the wisdom and understanding that God gave Solomon and how he got it. We'll talk about it more in detail in the next message. It's unbelievable. I'll mention it to you now without reading the scripture or just in closing. Samson was, or Samson, Solomon was the greatest botanist that has ever lived. He was the greatest biologist that ever lived. He was the greatest astronomer that ever lived. He was probably the greatest doctor of medicine that ever lived with what he had at the time. There was no area that Solomon was lacking in any area. I mean, just let it soak in. I know this is, you can hear me and listen to me and believe me, but you're, you may not meditate on what I'm saying. Hear it. He had knowledge in every area. God, God didn't just say, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you the greatest botanist and biologist. He didn't withhold. Anything and everything that was needed that was relevant to the people then, still relevant to us today, and God gave him that knowledge. I'm not saying he gave him all there was. I'm saying he gave him all that was needed at that time so that nobody else is going to compare. We've had great botanists. We've had great biologists. We've had great astronomers. We've had great this and that. But never has it all been in one person like this. And the bottom line is it was God's gift. Just God's gift. And then Christ said, a greater than Solomon is here. Solomon's just the tip of the iceberg. Just the tip of the iceberg. To understand the wisdom that resided in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'd have to know everything there is to know about God. And we know so little, even about Solomon. But I pray this has given you an appetite. I hope not only to know about Solomon, but to know about Christ. And that it will whet your appetite for wisdom and understanding. Because you see the benefits of what it can do. Read Proverbs, those first nine chapters, about wisdom and understanding. Solomon had it. And in that we see our Lord exalted and ourself humbled before Him. And that's what it's all about, folks. Solomon and the Queen. Solomon and you and me. The more we see of His greatness, the more we see of our littleness. The more we see of His goodness, the more we see our beneficiaries 
simply of that goodness. To Him be glory. We'll pick up next time. Amen.